This is So What Does Judaism Say About? Where interesting and challenging topics of our lives are discussed and how they relate to and come from Judaism. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me as always is the highly engaging Rabbi Mayer Beer. What does Judaism say about Zionism? But really Zionism. <laughs> Rabbi Beer, how are you doing? You pin me against the wall. I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> Bring out the big guns, Rabbi Beer. Let's, let's go for it. Let's do Zionism. I want to hear what's going on. Should I leave my family and join the IDF? Am I, what am I supposed to do? Yes. No, I think we're done the podcast. <laughs> should I be in the, the San Hanim? What am I? Give, give me my life mission. Uh, I think you should be a line chef in the IDF kitchens. Absolutely. Making should hamburgers we, for people. Should we, should we be running birthright trips? What's going on Yeah, over maybe. There? All right, so when we talk about Judaism, I want to talk about two points. And these are both from a religious perspective, but I think from this we can then branch out into Zionism as a whole. So within the world of religious Zionism... What, is that, what does that even mean? You're just saying you're throwing terms out I'm here. going to try to explain what I mean. What is Zionism? What so is I, the movement of Zionism? So Zionism really is two things. There is a secular Zionism, which is there, you know, as like a kind of a political movement. Where did that come from? So we're in Europe in the 1880s or whatnot... And Jews are, do not have it easy. Maybe, you know, we're a smart people, we're a talented people, we're a resourceful people. Maybe we should just start our own country and not be dependent on other, you know, other governments or the will of, the will of people or whatnot. So that is Zionism from a secular perspective. We need to protect ourselves. And, and therefore, if Uganda makes more sense, go to Uganda. Right. And to add another point is if you're in the United States of America and it's easy and comfortable to be Jewish or to be whatever you want. So Zionism kind of starts losing its necessity. Like, the, 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 like, why do you need to do that? We're okay. When the Cossacks are coming in every night and burning your village down, it might be time to consider... A secular Zionism. But if you're comfortable, do you really need it? Right. Well, you can get a little paranoid who says maybe like some extreme government will take over the United States and the good times will end. But by and large, like if you seem to be comfortable where you are, just stay there. Then there's religious Zionism, which is that as a people that buys into Judaism, we have a religious and spiritual need to have a country in Israel. And we need to sacrifice, from a religious and spiritual point of view, sacrifice wealth. We need to give up good jobs to move to Israel. We need to, you know, we need to, you know, move from a big comfortable house into a small apartment. You know, we might even have to put our lives on the line to join the IDF, as you mentioned. But this is not like from a, you know, political or, or, or nationalistic point of view. Or pragmatic. It's, it's talking, right. this purely, is, it's purely mission-based. Exactly. This is a religious point of view. Practically, I think the two things are not as separate as I'm making them sound. But just to discuss them, there are two different, two different points. So religious Zionism. Now, religious Zionism is going to be based off of, is a, there's, you have to find a source in the Torah which says, you need to move to Israel. You need to leave America and move to Israel. Is there such a source? Lech Lecha. Okay, God told Avraham to go to Israel. Very good. But I haven't gotten such a phone call yet. I'll go if God tells me. And nor am I living in Ur Kastim. Yeah. <laughs> in the ancient Mesopotamian basin. <laughs> Which is where I hang out most of, the, most yeah. of my time. I think it's hot there. <laughs> Probably wasn't hot then, by the way. That, that could be. Global warming. It might, it, it might have been a little cool. I think it was still hot. Uh, in any case, the uh, Nachmanides, in his commentary on the Chumash... Uh, in his glosses on the Ramam's book of mitzvos, writes that there is a definitive positive commandment from the Torah to move to Israel. Now that's a heavy hitter. 
Yes. Nachmanides. Nachmanides is very so you influential. Th- you throw out some some authorities, he's going to be a top three. Yeah. So he writes that it's a mitzvah saseh. It's a positive commandment to move to Israel. The Torah writes at the end of Book of Numbers and then the Book of Dvarim, of, of, uh, of Bamidbar, uh, you will inherit the land of Israel and you will settle there because I gave you the land. And that is a that is a positive commandment. You, you have a requirement basically to move to Israel. Who argues on that? So uh, the Rambam doesn't have this as one of the 613 mitzvahs. Why not? So this is an interesting point. And if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, nowhere does it explicitly say you have an obligation to go to Israel. Why not? So what is the mitzvah then? So some understand, and I'm quoting the Beis Halevi, that the mitzvah is the mitzvah was to settle the land originally. When the Jewish people were in the desert, after they left Egypt, they had a mitzvah to settle the land and settle the country. But that mitzvah doesn't carry over. Others understand, and this seems to be like a more subtle and, and kind of something we can relate to, that it is a mitzvah to be there, but you're not, so to speak, ignoring anything by not being there. So certain things you need to do, and if you don't do it, there's what we call a bitla say, you're like you're nullifying, you're ignoring something, like an obligation that you have to do. Certain things are a good thing to do, and the term might tell you it's a good thing to do, but it's not a requirement. Like do. it's a good thing to visit the sick, but if I don't visit the sick tomorrow, I didn't do anything wrong. Right, you didn't go to the hospital to visit sick people. You have, Right, you may have other priorities. And, you know, if you have nothing to do and you live next to a hospital, so that might, you know, that might be like a, a heavier weight on you, so to right, speak. Right, And Ramosha Feinstein basically, which is, you know, if you want contemporary halakhic authorities, describes the mitzvah as such. It's a mitzvah to be there. You are not ignoring a responsibility or, 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 or ignoring a requirement by not being there. And there are, you know, that's like, like his own little category, you know. You know, you can give half your wealth to charity if you're a billionaire. Are you required to do so? Not really. Now, you might you might argue that, you know, if, if you're worth $20 billion and you can't possibly spend that money, then maybe you do have like, like an extra responsibility, which is why some people who have like a stronger urge or circumstances which, you know, the path will lead them to Israel might want to take that a little more seriously. But if you feel like you can't raise your kids there as well as you can in other places, that, that could be a strong mitigating factor. So this is just talking about from like the religious point of view. Now, there's a really interesting source, which has has been the source of a huge debate in the last let's say 75 to 100 years in the religious community, which is, from a religious perspective, is settling Israel as a country a good or a bad thing? Meaning getting recognition, auspices, a seat in the UN, a military. An army, exactly. Is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Irrespective of what what I hear you're saying from Nachmanides' perspective, settling the land, I can accomplish that under the Ottomans. I can accomplish sure, that under exactly. the Turks. I can, I can. Well, Turks and Ottomans might be the same thing, but I can, I can. The the English, 1940, whatever. I I can I can live there under somebody else's rule and fulfill this mitzvah of living there. Or is there a separate idea that it's good for us to have independence as far as a country is concerned? Or is that perhaps a really bad thing? Wow, that is a very, so very poignant question. The Talmud in Tractate Ksubus writes, this is page 111, that God required the Jewish people when they went into exile uh, to be bound by three oaths. One of the oaths was, Shloyalu Yisrael B'chomah, that the Jewish people would not go as a nation and retake Israel. And there are communities, uh, certain Hasidic communities, Satmar Hasidim, understand from this line of the Talmud that taking the country you know, as a nation or on some like mass scale, returning and settling it as a Jewish country under Jewish auspices is in fact not a good thing. Now, what what would the problem with that be? 
like very very hard to very hard to understand um and we'll try to share the other perspectives as well now you know trying to understand what zionism is from a jewish perspective from jewish sources uh the the talmud also writes that god made the jewish people swear that they would not rebel against the nations so this is idea and this is this is quoting the morale that the jewish people had to go to exile i can't rebel well you can rebel i guess if they're being bad to you so what does that mean that mean you shouldn't perhaps storm the capital and turn the United States into the United States of Rick Fox. I would not. I'm not planning on it. But it's it's it's. I I, li- I live in Vienna, 1937. I can't rebel. You can defend yourself, but to kind of force Judaism uh, uh, onto an area uh, is something which the Jews. That's, will, that's it's kind of like a low profile idea. Right. I should I shouldn't be flaunting around like I own the place. Correct, because I don't own the place. I mean, I I need going back to what we spoke about before about about Israel. This really is not where I belong. I'm a fish out of water, so to speak. I really should be in Israel at a certain point in time, a certain point of place, at the right time and the right circumstances. That's my place. So keep a low profile here. You're like a long term visitor, and 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 behave as such. Right. So, like, this is a really interesting idea. So, but why is this? So, the Maral explains that, that the Jews being in exile is a condition in which we're, you know, we're not supposed to be, like, this dominantly, obviously dominant force in the world. Part of our journey as the Jewish people is to travel through different countries in history as God places us in, places us in different locations and, you know, different eras and different, you know, ideas that the Jewish people have lived through, different philosophical ideas that different governments have had, democracy, monarchy, tyranny, you know, democratic, you know, just humanitarian center governments. We've been through everything. I, I, I did hear something once. I, I've looked into it. I never found something concrete. But over the four largest empires in the last 2,000 years, you know, Romans, uh, Greek, Turkish, Ottoman, whatever it is, the second largest or second biggest commercial city where the commerce was, the second largest, meaning whatever the capital was, the number two city was always Salonika, Greece. Wherever, whatever the first one was, Byzantine, Rome, whatever, number two, Salonika, Greece. Why? The stronghold of the Jewish community of the bankers was there. Interesting. And they were controlling everything going on in the world from behind the scenes on behalf of the, of the, of the, uh, of the current uh, government. Right. So, so kind of like that, the way you just said it is, is the, as the Bible understands what God wants, like the Jews after the temple was destroyed were sent into exile. And that was kind of the existence that God wanted the Jewish people to live under. And by forcing, so to speak, you know, a return without a, a signal or a message from God, this is an interpretation of the Talmud, we'll, we'll mention others, is perhaps, uh, you know, forcing God to, you know, remove us, at, you know, from, from the conditions that he wants us to live under. But so, what kind of signal can I expect? I mean, prophecy ended 2,000 years ago. How am I supposed to know I have to try to better the world? Tikkun Olam is, uh, is, is upon me. I have to try and better the place, make the place a better you know, world. You know? So w- w- this has to be explored. W- what does that mean? Exactly. So, so like practically, what does this mean? And it kind of sounds kind of extreme that like, oh, we can't go back until we hear prophecy. Which doesn't make any sense because yeah, there's no prophecy. Yeah, like, and we should wait for a return. Like, it's, it's really hard to understand that like super literally. So I, I'm going to quote, I've quoted Romero Simchavitz many times. Uh, super prominent in the Lithuanian yeshiva world. His his thoughts and, and opinions carried extreme weight. So he, he uh, I'm quoting a letter of his, which I found in a book called Hatkufa Hagadola, the, the Great Era, 
which is referring to the uh, they are of Israel. This is a book uh, compiled by uh, Menachem Kasher. Is that a, referring to Tom Brady's Patriots? Uh, I don't think so. I think it was published before he. I'm shocked and chagrined. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure it would have been included had the book been published, you know, late enough. Fair enough. So this was a rabbi in Manhattan, a very prominent rabbi who compiled this book, and he found this letter. And essentially, he writes that it's almost like a sinut or a modesty of the Jewish people. And he says, and this is Romero Simcoe-Vince writing this in the 20s, that because the Jewish people were getting the, um, like the, the English government was allowing, was the Balfour Declaration of 1917 was allowing, you know, Jewish settlement. He refers to a conference uh, in, San Re- in San Remo. I'm not familiar with this, you know, the details of this, but also another one of these like governmental conferences because the Jews were engaging in political um you know, in diplomacy, to, to get permission for this, it's okay. It's kind of like as Jews, we shouldn't, like, force ourselves too much on the world. But if we get other people to to recognize our need for this, that would satisfy the conditions of what the Talmud is saying. Oh, that's because you're not rebelling then. Exactly. Point, you know? so it's, more, so, it's more of like, we shouldn't be like these brazen people storming the capital. Interesting. Like, you know, going on the ramparts and burning down buildings. Like, we should use, this is what it means to be a Jew. So engage people, talk to people. And get them to see so why we need Diplomacy would be a way to work around these things. And the question then becomes, how much of that should I be doing? So when, when whoever convinced Harry Truman to throw his hat into the ring, so to speak, and pass that Security Council vote to create the Jewish state in 1948, that, right. that must so have been So Romero Simple had passed away about 20 years before that. Uh, but I would assume that he would, have, he would have seen that as a sign also. Like, look, you're getting one of the most powerful... and one of the most powerful countries in the world. And interestingly enough, when Israel was formed, the, the Soviet Union was also backing it. That's interesting. That, you know, like, it seems that the Jewish people are, are acting the way they should be to regain control. They're not this conquering, pillaging force. I think a lot of people felt really bad about the Holocaust. That may be. And, and that, you know, many people will make that connection that like, okay, look, this terrible, unspeakable, tra- tra- you know, tragedy, this 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 horrible era just ended, like we're now continuing into something that we can really grow from. And Mayor Simcha then writes, the point that you just raised, he said, who says we're going to have profits? You know, like, we, we shouldn't expect that. And, you know, he's like, you know, you can't, you can't claim to know the ways of the divine. But if it seems that what we're doing this in a proper fashion, we're not you know, we're not pillaging and conquering, but we're trying to do this with diplomacy and by getting people to understand us and creating more shalom in the world, which I believe was certainly a motivation in the founding of Israel. They didn't want civil war. They wanted to peacefully co- coexist with the Arabs. By doing that, that would, that would satisfy the, um, the needs for this. And that makes sense. Yeah, so like it, it's really a very different perspective. Now I want to share with you another interesting source that I dug up. Okay, this is a pamphlet published in 1859 called Mayane HaYeshua. Uh, How'd you find this? <laughs> I, I, I actually don't remember. It's like a 20-page pamphlet. I printed it out probably 10 years ago. I have no idea where I found this. So the author of this pamphlet's father had been a student of the Vilna Gon and wrote down thoughts that his father had, had heard from the Vilna Gon. So this is two generations past. Um, but he said a couple of interesting things. He says that if you read the prophets... The prophets say terrible things that will befall the nations of the world uh, in the times of the Messiah. The Vilna taught this author's father that those that, you know, kind of are, are kind nations, particularly ones that will, will, will be, you know, nice to the Jewish people, 
are nations who are going to participate in a kind way with the Jewish people. They are nations that are going to participate in the Messianic era without any harm. So those that have a kind of like a Messianic twist to, the, to Israel, which some do, uh, some don't, um, and this like, you know, the fact that there are countries like the United States which throw enormous amounts of money at Israel is really a great merit for the, for the country, for the United States. Uh, and then I'll, I'll just share one more thought that he says, just because this is so, like, wild. He quotes a verse in, in Isaiah and Yeshaya that says that in the times of the Messiah, every month and every week, people will all travel to, to Jerusalem. Now, how will they do that? So he's like, is that going to be miraculous? So he says, oh, perhaps God will create great wisdom in the world. This is Tavonda going talking at the end of the 18th century. And there might be what he calls Luftballen. No way he says that. Or, or some other flying device that literally translates as, a, as an air balloon, which will help people travel. And then people will be able to go to Israel easily in, in the times when that, when that comes. That is amazing. I have the print out here, 1859. <laughs> It's wild. What is it? Luftball- Luftballen. Luftballen. Take a look a, at the a word over. Balloon. Something a, like that, yeah. Balloon. Wow. Right. It, it, it is well known that the Vilna Gon used to say that at the end of the, the, the sixth millennium in Jewish history, there is going to be a huge, like the dam is going to burst on wisdom in the world. And, you know, science and all these things are going to ex- increase exponentially. So he lived at the, you know, the beginning of the Enlightenment. Um, and, you know, we certainly see that as having gone, you know, by orders of magnitude greater than he than he saw, so an interesting idea. Wow! So I want to I want to sh- I want to end off with a with a, a thought from the Kuzari. So the Kuzari is a book which is a debate between. Uh, I think yeah, it, ne- it needs background. We got to explain what this book was, how it came to be. It's an it's, it really is an underrated yeah sure highly underrated work. It's only a thousand years old, but it's it's so underrated. Yeah, so the, so the 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 book of the Kuzri is is a uh, probably a slightly fictionalized account because the story happened hundreds of years before the book was written. But the account happened nonetheless. Yeah, no, no, the story happens, right? So what's the story? So the story is there's a king who you the know, country of Khazar, right? Who's having these like dreams and stuff, and it's a real country. Uh, it's it's it, a real country. It seems that it was based on a, on, on a story. Now this book was then turned into like a large philosophy book. So I don't know. Now, if, I'll talk about the book. The country was real. There was a real king. This, as far as I understand, this is. This yeah, is yeah. I, I, I believe that that it, it is is assumed to have happened historically, and then he decides to discover true religion. Comes up with the, you know theology experts from for a number of religions, and there's a Jewish uh, you know rabbi there, Pio Woody Allen type character. I'll I'll speak to the king. <laughs> Let me in. I'll be okay. It, it I, could be. I, I guess I'll come. I, I have gluten intolerance. He's going to need a special diet. Um, and the book is the account of this debate. So it first starts out with the different you know, religious people discussing their perspective, their, their, their religions. And then most of the book is just the king talking over Judaism with the rabbi. So it's a dialogue form, this philosophical discussion about Judaism. It's an amazing book. Uh, at the end of the book, the, the, um, the rabbi tells the king that he's going to move to Israel. And he mentions that you know, typically, Jewish people are not supposed to uh, put themselves in positions of danger, right? It's, you know, you shouldn't, like, demand God save you from dangerous situations. You shouldn't do anything that's ob- an obvious physical danger to yourself. However, he says to travel to Israel is something which one is spiritually allowed to do. Like, you, one, one can take risks. Israel is so special that one is allowed to take risks to do that. And we have seen, as you mentioned, there are people sacrificing their lives, people joining armies to defend the Jewish people. And as as the author of the Kuzari would would 
you know, would, would tell you this is something which you're, you're allowed to do. Should you join something which is dang, like dangerous for no reason? So certainly if you want to become a firefighter to, to save people's lives, you can do that. But should you, like, you know, should you, like, because you like fighting, become a mercenary and fight in some random civil war in some random country? You know, that might be a problem from a Jewish perspective. But to do it, to go to Israel, to sacrifice yourself, for, you know, for this, you know, this ideal of living in, in the country of Israel is something which one has the right to do. It, it's amazing. It's an, ama- it's, it's an amazing, amazing place, amazing thing. And I think Zionism is something that is certainly well debated. And we see that it's, as religious as it is, it's, it's an emotional, intellectual idea that needs to be understood. And everyone should look at their own life and say, am I the right place? Yes, no. Can I accomplish what you need to accomplish here? And if yes, great. And if not, Israel is certainly a wonderful place to, to build that. But until then, you can stop by my house in Bala Kinwood. Mm-hmm.